You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 1059 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and this is The Feed. We are York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues and events that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up today, school lunch options from the lunch lady herself. Also on the show, the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, a local librarian's take on the Testaments. But with fall's official arrival on Monday, we begin today with a look at the weather forecast. Afwaba with Environment Canada's David Phillips. In just a couple of days, we will say goodbye to summer and officially welcome fall. Now, to take a look at what was in terms of the previous months of summer and what will be in terms of the upcoming months of fall, have none other than with me today, Senior Climatologist from Environment Canada, Dave Phillips. He's going to let us know what we can expect. Dave, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me aboard, and you're, you're right. We're coming up to the, um, actually, I guess it's uh, September the 23rd, uh, will be the first official day of, um, of fall, and um, and most most uh, people think, okay, now what's winter going to be like? And because you've finished summer and now winter, no, 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 we have fall. I mean, fall is a gorgeous time of the year. It happens to be my favorite season, and uh, it's a beautiful in York region in terms of the color change. And uh, and typically, some falls you could get more. It couldn't feel more like a summer than a winter. Um, and uh, so I I think we shouldn't we should put off the the bad news about winter until as far as we can. Uh, and let's, let's enjoy the uh, the fall. I agree. I was not even going to mention the W word throughout this entire conversation. So let's uh, first off take a look at what was in terms of the summer. I think it's safe to say it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I think we got a little bit of everything, um, and I think everyone should have been thoroughly satisfied. Well, I agree. I mean, I think that it was sort of the, uh, I mean, if you like it hot, well, it wasn't that, but it wasn't cold either. Uh, we had, it was fairly close to what I would describe as normal. And if somebody asked me to manufacture the weather, I'd always give you normal weather. It's the best for the most. Uh, you know, it's not, it goes across different ages, different sectors, different interests. And this uh, year in uh, York Region in the summer, we had, uh, began a little on the slow mark. Uh, June was actually a little cooler than, than normal, and we certainly know May was. And we know that, um, my gosh, there'd been several months where things were, were below normal. And I think given the May and the June, uh, a lot of residents probably thought, well, I mean, this is going to be the year without summer. Well, July came through with uh, temperatures that were... Um, we're, we're almost two degrees warmer than normal. We had 11 days where the temperature got above 30 in July. It was pretty hot. And then August came, and uh, it was about a degree warmer than normal. And September has also been maybe about a half a degree warmer than normal. The number of days above 30 in York Region, uh, I think this total 15. There's still a possibility of having a couple of more before we wrap it up at the end of September, but we've had 15. We normally would see 17. 
Uh, last year we had 24 of them, and sometimes the temperature got up to 36 and a half. So uh, we noticed that last year was much warmer. So I think it was the best for the most. It was comfortable. Uh, I don't think people had necessarily their air conditioner going on from morning, noon, and night, and, and all through the summer. The precipitation um, was um, fairly close to uh, uh, to normal. I think it was about maybe 12, 15 percent above normal. And uh, but it, it, there were moments where it was pretty dry, and other times where hey, some rescue rains came. So I think overall it was a comfortable kind of um, of a summer. There wasn't any much severe weather. The air quality was good. Um, as I say, I think uh, we weren't uh, done in. Uh, we were actually, I think, rewarded by nature for the the kind of summer we had. I agree there, and I tried not to complain too much, and I knew as soon as they they had those uh, sweltering days, if you will, that came up, I made sure I take... I took full advantage of that, uh, wore the summer dresses on the patio. So I think everyone uh, should be smiling <laughs> leading into fall. And as you mentioned, fall is uh, your favorite season. Um, and I love fall as well, especially with the change in colors. And it's not it's not too much of a, a stark transition in, term, in terms of cold weather. It's, it's cool at the nighttime and it's comfortable during the daytime. Is that what we're going to be seeing um, in these next coming months? Well, certainly, I think at the beginning of the the fall. I mean, uh, we we define fall as September, October, November, and um, and then we look at winter as December, January, February. So we carve up the year into quarters. But certainly, September, October, November, um, and um, our models are showing that it looks like it's going to be warmer than normal. Now, there is a tremendous drop off of temperatures when you get from certainly say from September through to October. If you take the average temperature in September and then you look at the average temperature in October normally, um, it's it's probably the biggest difference all year round. So we really notice the change because the days are getting shorter, the sun's a little lower in the sky. So it's hard for for summer to come back. It's hard to get those temperatures that are in the mid to high 20s. But there's nothing wrong with a temperature high of 18 degrees. It's uh, kind of sweater weather or jacket weather, and you're right. I mean, get single digit at night. Um, but the days are, of course, getting much shorter. We lose about three minutes, three and a half minutes a day. You can notice that from, from one September day to the next. And and uh, so so that's reason why why things kind of cool off. But our models are showing, we think, a warmer than normal September, October, November. Um, now, it's not, it's not July warmth. We have to understand it's October warmth and November warmth. We're comparing that with the normal in those months. So the, the feeling is that um, this will be milder than normal as long as you understand compared to other, other falls. Now, just to remind you, last fall was rather disappointing. September turned out to be warmer than normal. And then um, we came to uh, October. We got frost. We had snow in York Region in October. And, uh, and it was more winter-like than summer-like. So we feel kind of short-changed. And it, had a, it was a factor in why the winter seemed to be so long last year, because we were counting October and November in the winter column and not in the fall column. So we think that this fall will be better than last year. 
year. Uh, maybe September won't be quite as warm as last year, but I think it'll have more staying power. We think October and November. Now, I looked at precipitation, and I never really offer up what we think precipitation is going to be because our skills are not that good. We have less confidence in it, although the models are showing drier than normal. So how wonderful could that be? Warmer and drier than normal. And then at the same time, you're getting that great technicolor change of the of the vegetation and um and and it it's good because it delays winter it gives you the harvest is is clearly finishing up and um there's not necessarily a lot of yard work to be done it's uh it's a time to really enjoy it i mean maybe we don't have as much sunshine and and as we would in july so the days are shorter but it is a really uh, from a comfort point of view and it's also free energy time i often find in september october you don't necessarily have your air conditioning on you don't have your heat on so this doesn't cost us anything and we know that this fall the trees loved the kind of summer we had it was not too extreme and uh, precipitation was right the temperatures were comfortable and so trees are very healthy we haven't lost a lot of leaves uh, uh, so far and so my sense is nature's going to reward us with a spectacular um, color change season and if the weather is right well it'll just be the perfect kind of uh, fall season I, my heart is set on that, considering, as you mentioned last year, the transition was rather short, and I think it made a little bit people a little bit uh, antsy, if you will, because uh, we had um, frost coming in so early and a um, few snowfall days here and there um, leading into December. So my heart is definitely set on this season, hoping it'll be a, a nice, a nice, calm, easy transition uh, into the W word that we will not mention right now, um, and uh, everyone will just be prepared for that, and just of course enjoy the moments while they're here and not complain about them. Well, I agree. I think that it's uh, now, of course, as I say, I mean, it's not as if there's a money-back guarantee with that forecast. It's what our best science can can determine. Other people have said different things, but this is what we think because of warmer ocean waters that often give us that kind of fall and more of a Bermuda high that brings in American air at this time of the uh, of the year. But even, even if uh, we get a, a killing frost in October or there's snow on the pumpkin, or before Remembrance Day doesn't necessarily spoil the kind of fall we have. You can get those little teasers of kind of winterish like weather, but often they're short short-lived, and in summer it comes back. So I, my sense is we're going to have uh, many restarts of kind of summery-like weather in the fall, and overall it'll turn out to be warmer and drier than normal, just like our model said. Awesome. Okay. Well, I am looking forward to it, forward to it and uh, looking forward to enjoying the days ahead. Even if it comes a few days here and there that are off, I'll take it. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Dave Phillips, thank you so much for joining us once again today, giving us a look ahead as to what fall will give us. You're so welcome. Bye-bye now. Take care. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. We turn our attention next to men's health and the man of more words campaign jim lang with the story well here we are it's mid-september november will be here quicker than you know it and that also means movember movember is all about men's health and often we talk about things like prostate cancer but this year when movember comes around we want to talk about suicide prevention especially with adult men because it's a huge issue in canada to talk more about it thrilled to be speaking to one of the movember spokespeople evan connor evan how are you i'm doing well thanks thanks for having me uh on this morning 
Well, it's my pleasure. And the numbers uh, for men in Canada when it comes to mental health and suicide is quite shocking. When did we come to a realization, Evan, that this was such a problem for Canada, especially among adult men? I mean, definitely it's been an, an ongoing issue. There's constant learnings. And really, like over the last few years, uh, Movember has begun implementing a lot of programs and funding aimed at really helping to address the, the mental health issue and, and, the, and as well as suicide with a real approach towards preventative measures, measures and early intervention. Well, the, the, some of the numbers are staggering and, and kind of scary as a, as a guy in his 50s. A study finding that 54% of men working in Canada said they'd be able to take time off work for mental health or personal issues. That seems awfully low, Evan. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, we're still in an age where there's a, a stigma associated to, to that mental health aspect. I think all of us are quite comfortable asking for a sick day if, you're, if you've got the flu or a cold or something like that. Um, I think we're still working. There's still a lot of progress to be made in terms of just being comfortable and opening up to say, like, I'm, I'm not doing well. I need to take a day to uh, recover mentally. Um, we're making s- small steps, but there's still a long way to go. Obviously, if, if almost half of men don't think they're able to do that, that's a little alarming. But um, we're, we're working in the right direction slowly but surely. Recently, we've seen pretty A-list people, whether it's Rob, Robin Leonard in the NHL, Bill Hader, the actor-comedian, and other people come out and be quite honest and open about their anxiety, their depression, their mental health issues. But at the same time, roughly 33% of Canadian men worry they might be held back from promotion at work if they talk about their problems. It's startling, I think. Uh, kind of like you said, it's it's interesting. You see with someone like uh, Robin Leonard, like you mentioned, the, the positive impact that it had on his overall c- career and well-being by just coming forward and, and talking more. That's really what Movember is all about. A lot of our messaging around World Suicide Prevention Day is um, just be a man of more words, open up when things aren't going well. I think that, that number where two-thirds of men... Um, do think they're able to to talk about it is is nice to see, but I think if one third of men out there don't feel like they they can come forward and talk about something they're going through with their mental health because it'll affect their career, it obviously shows there's a lot of opportunity for continued growth. And I think as we continue to remove that that negative stigma that comes with mental health and and opening up, I think there's there's still a lot of work to be done. Speaking with Evan Connor from Movember, Movember has become a, a Canadian institution supporting men's health in Canada as we talk about suicide prevention and mental health among adult men in Canada. And I, sometimes we hear about first responders, firefighters, police officers, any kind of job that has that kind of built-in PTSD type issues, but it could be an everyday person, an everyday guy in a job that's far removed from firefighting or police work that could be suffering from mental health just as much as they would. Yeah, I think uh, the thing with mental health is a lot of the signs aren't necessarily visible. And truthfully, a lot of us haven't been trained to really see or identify when someone is maybe going through a tough time. A lot of what we really try to push here, especially amongst men, is as simple as kind of just checking in on your your friends, colleagues, families, asking how things are going, listening. Um, If you may be here, if the person's down compared to how they normally are, or they express that they're maybe not doing as well, encouraging the conversation, so continuing to try to to let them know that you're there to listen. Um, if they ever just need to talk, you're going to be there. And 
one thing that I'm sure we can all get a little bit better is once you have that, that initial conversation, really circling back and checking in with that friend or, or colleague or, or family member and asking, like, how are things going uh, and that sort of thing. So a lot of it is just really about um, we just we really need to talk and the importance of just being there for one another. It's, it's funny you learn those things at a relatively young age, the importance of kind of being there for a friend and that sort of thing. And as you get older, we're maybe not as good at continuing those conversations and being there for one another. Yeah, and I'm guilty as that as anybody, Evan, and it's a great reminder to everyone and the listeners that, hey, it's okay that you haven't talked to someone in a while, just text them or give them a call. Hey, how you doing? It, it, it may open up some doors and, and it may help them. Exactly. You never know. I think, uh, I mean, as working with November for, for over a year now, I think I've certainly seen even myself when I reach out to a friend and just ask how things are going. You really never know the response that you're going to get. You're going to get. And oftentimes all it is is just asking, like, how have you been? Haven't heard from you in a while. And I think a lot of people, you'll, you'll see the conversations will naturally start to grow um, as you make these conversations much more normal. Hence, Movember's Man of More Words campaign this year for men to get out there, talk about it, be open about it. When in doubt, we have a lot of services in this province and in this country, uh, anonymous websites and emails and phone numbers to reach out to people if you think you need some help. So, men, adult men, do not need to suffer in silence anymore. No, exactly. I think uh, it's important for, for all of us to continue to just, just be aware that you, there's nothing wrong with just saying, hey, I'm not doing so well, I need to talk. Um, the more we, we're able to do that and the more comfortable we get, the easier these things are going to be, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And um, like I said, we really just try to encourage the starting of that conversation. And it's as simple as asking, hey, how's it going, buddy? Haven't heard from you in a while. And then listening and just really reminding the, the, the men in your life that you're there and you're always you're kind of in no judgment zone when you guys are going to be chatting. And we all go through bad days. I have them. I'm sure you have them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's it's a lot easier when you just talk it out and, and get through it. And um, so that's really kind of what we're aimed at. I know it's, it's one day of the year, World Suicide Prevention Day, but these conversations can go on. 365 days a year. It's important that you're always kind of letting those, those, those friends and families that you consider close ones, letting them know that you are there for them. It's, it's not just for always the fun times. You're going to be there when, when maybe things aren't going quite as well. You can get more information for Movember's Man of More Words campaign this year at movember.com. Social media-wise, Evan, what can people do if they want to connect with Movember? Sure. So we have our, I mean, we have our global Instagram that you can see right now. It's just Movember. Uh, we're, we're actually sharing a lot of stories from around the world here in Canada as well. Uh, that men that have had mental health issues and experienced uh, some downtimes, but kind of they, they share what they did in addressing it by starting the conversation and kind of how they're, how they're feeling after being on the other side of it. It's quite, uh, it's empowering. And as, as someone working for the organization, you certainly see that and you're like, this is why I come to work every day because there are, there are men that need this help and there's a lot of men that aren't speaking out, but letting them know like you're not, you're definitely not alone and um, there's, there's help out there. And just really the first thing you can really do for yourself is start that conversation. Well said, Evan, a real pleasure. Thank you for helping some people. Hopefully listening to someone that needs help will get the help at Movember.com. Check them out and be part of their Man of More Words campaign. A real pleasure, Evan. Thank you very much for doing this. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Take care.
Joining us next on the feed is Jennifer Axelrod, and she is the lunch lady. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, we're into the first month of school, but there are parents who are still juggling the lunch situation. Why don't we start with what is the lunch lady and how long has this service been up and running? Absolutely. So the lunch lady is a trusted, healthy school lunch provider. And we are the largest of its kind in Canada. We are Canadian-owned and operated. The Lunch Lady was founded in 1993 by one mom, and her name is Ruthie Bird. She's our founder. And it's a really great story. I'd love to share it with your viewers. Yeah, please do. It's really inspirational, and it really was a business by accident. So, in the early 1990s, Ruthie uh, had a young family, so she had young boys, and she was contemplating a career change. So, previous, she had worked with her husband in Jamaica um, in a company, a manufacturing company of Venetian blinds. So, she knew she could start a business, and that's what she wanted to do at this point in her life. Now, the thing is that she had really young kids, so she had to find something that would work with them. And to even add to it, her middle son, Brendan, was profoundly autistic. So she had to find a career where she would work during the day and then hopefully free up her afternoons so that she could take him to the necessary um, therapy sessions, doctor's appointments, and, you know, what have you. So... At that point, she had to decide what to do. So, really, she could have decided on anything. Uh, she just knew her hours of, um, you know, what she needed to do with that. So, you know what? She really just thought of uh, different ideas, and then she came across an article about a company that was delivering healthy lunches to small businesses. And she thought, okay, there's an idea. But then she thought, what about kids? What about schools? And so in the early 90s, uh, 1990s, um, she realized after she did some research that cafeterias no longer existed in schools and parents just didn't like making lunches. So she thought, well, she had a vision. And what about doing a mobile restaurant for schools so that we could deliver healthy lunches to kids at school? And uh she thought, wow, there, there's an idea. Let, let, let me roll with it. So the first couple of years were rough. I'm not going to say they weren't. And she approached uh, schools, and there was no interest. So it took about two years. And then finally, we had one school that accepted a trial. And when the menus went home to the parents, one menu came back. Crazy, right? Wow. So from there, it started to pick up, started to gain interest, and uh, the business started to grow. So, you know, soon we were serving many, 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 many kids, many, many, many schools, and it grew to the point that in 2001, Ruthie reached another point where she either had to sell because it was getting too big to run on her own, 
or she wanted to grow it in a different way. And that's when she was introduced to franchising. And she loved the concept of franchising because this way she would get to share her idea with others and grow the business and grow the brand. So that's where the lunch lady started. And there had to be other parents who were in the same situation she was and that these types of hours and this type of business could really work for them. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing, you know, she was here, she would talk about is, you know, when you get a child that's diagnosed with a special needs or, you know, autistic, you can be that mom that just stays home and makes her whole life about that child and appointments and all that kind of stuff. But she wanted business. And so she didn't have cooking skills at the time, but she knew business. And from there, she just started to invest in business courses, learn cooking, all the things she had to do to be successful. And so where are we today? Well, we're two decades, over two decades in. Uh, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary last year as a company, and it was really a big celebration. It was wonderful. And, you know, a lot has changed over the years. Uh, you know, we've grown in franchise or uh, franchise partners. We've changed up the organization um, you know, the people that have joined, everything's different. And now we say, you know, we, we serve thousands of kids and so many lunches. It's crazy. Um, but one thing that's never changed over the years is the values and the purpose. And that's really to make it easy for kids to have access to good, healthy food at school. And why did you get involved? Why did I get involved? As a parent, um, I love I have a passion for healthy eating I I you know I work out I, I eat healthy I, I try and make my kids do the same and so it just resonated with me um, when my kids were young I made them lunches and I hated doing that and so when I learned about a company that could take that off my plate I thought wow I wish I had known about that sooner <laughs> And how is the food then prepared? Do you have options for children who have nut or gluten allergies? Yes, we do. So first of all, all our food is prepared daily and fresh in a nut-free, health-inspected commercial kitchen. So parents don't have to worry, and the, the food is safe for schools. Um, when it comes to allergies, we are allergy-aware, meaning each individual lunch is prepared for each student, and we put their name on it. So it makes it easy to manage allergies, sensitivities, and all that. Um, so we definitely have a full allergy management process in place, and we can take the necessary precautions in the kitchen to make sure that the food goes to the allergy kids that designated for and that there's no mix-ups and we know that there's a lot of families out there that have kids with allergy and it's it's really crazy all the stuff I read in the news and it's so sad that you have that extra thing to worry about and you know we just want to be able to take that off uh, you know that worry off for parents and to know that they can trust us and have peace of mind. How can parents then access this service? Is it implemented through schools? And what kind of cost is associated with the lunch lady? Okay, so it definitely is implemented through the schools, and I'll explain how it works. So each individual lunch lady in the community would then have a bunch of schools that they want to get on board. So they would go and visit those schools, 
start the conversation, drop off a package, and look to implement the program in the school. They would customize, once, once the program gets on board, they would customize the program best suited for the school and determine the frequency. Once the program is already set up, that's when the parents get notified that the menu will be online for them to order. And so everything is done online, which makes it so easy. And one of the things I really want to point out is there's no obligation. So you can try us once or you can order all the time. It really is easy and your choice. Of course, we want you to order. We, you know, we feel that all kids should have a healthy lunch at school. And if we can take that off your plate, then, oh my God, that's so amazing, right? And so what kind of costs are associated with this? What if I were to, you know, sign my child up for one lunch a week? Okay, so a lot of schools, they, they only have lunch lady day on once a week. So, you know, typically our meals are from 550 all the way up to, let's say, 750 because we have a lot of add-ons and sides. We're really trying to get a nutritionally balanced lunch. So we have all these vegetables and fruits and smoothies and all that kind of stuff that you can add to the meal. But if you want a simple meal, you're looking about 550 And what does a simple meal involve? What is it? Okay, so a simple meal is mac and cheese, right? But then we have a combo with mac and cheese with carrots and peas. And so our motto is if we can offer it, perhaps the kid's going to eat it. Well, it sounds like this service is definitely a plus for on-the-go parents. If our listeners want more information, where can they go? They can go to the lunchlady.ca. That is our website. And they can also go at Lunch Lady Group, and that's our Facebook page. Terrific. Thanks for being here, Jennifer. Thank you so much. The Lunch Lady program is available in many provinces across the country. Next stop on the feed, a trip to the Aurora Public Library and inside the pages of Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. Well, the sequel to popular novel and TV series The Handmaid's Tale, The Testaments, was released earlier this month. Joining me to chat today about the new novel and its initial reviews on it is Hannah Dugas, the librarian from the Aurora Public Library. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Okay, so let's get into it. What are your initial thoughts on the Testaments? I know that you said you are you you bought it late last week, and of course, I don't expect that you have fully finished it by now. But what are your just your initial thoughts? Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. I maybe should have reread The Handmaid's Tale because I haven't read it in a very long time, but I have kept up with the show, so um, the story is still very fresh in my mind. So reading the Testaments is um, kind of grabbing my attention. I'm maybe a third of the way through it so far and uh, really enjoying it. Awesome. Okay, so it's good to see that uh, the the drama and the action is sort of keeping you entertained so far. So that's good Absolutely. news. Absolutely. Um, sales of the book have been quite successful so far. There have been uh, numbers that have come out saying that they're basically flying off of the bookshelves and bookstores. Um, why do you think there has been such increased interest in this novel in particular? And of course, this likely alludes to the TV show, The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, um, I think um, anytime there's a show, the the books get uh, popular. 
Um, so Margaret Atwood is someone who's kind of always popular at the library. Her books are usually checked out and we have a healthy supply. Um, so since the show started airing, basically all of our copies of Handmaid's Tale have been off the shelf and checked out, which is great. Um, and then, it, I mean, it, it's kind of twofold because there's sort of an uptick in um, sort of feminist issues and people are very interested in discussing that. And then there's also the aspect of it being uh, dystopia, which we also find is very popular in fiction and movies and TV. So it's, it's kind of, um, it's bringing together a lot of very popular topics right now. So I think that's sort of what we have to thank for its increased popularity. Do you think the Testaments might, uh, you know, be as successful as The Handmaid's Tale, just from your initial re- um, thoughts into reading it so far? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be sort of one of the uh, the hot books of 2019 and probably 2020 as well. The show is sort of tremendously popular, and um, now that we're, we're sort of getting a different perspective where the show is kind of following its own path, uh, I think Testaments is going to follow a different path, so it's not... Um, it, it's written in a different narrative than The Handmaid's Tale, so that's very interesting. It's told from three perspectives so far, one of which is Aunt Lydia, who's a character in the show, and then um, two children. So uh, I think it's very interesting to sort of get the, the narrative that you get in the original book, The Handmaid's Tale, and then the narrative that you're getting through the show. And then this is sort of something brand new to offer. So if you're a fan of the show and if you're a fan of the original book, this is something that's um, going to keep your attention as well. Does it compare to The Handmaid's Tale, though, or is that even a fair question? Because as you're mentioning, they're written from two different perspectives. There might be two things that are equally as good with both. But do you think maybe The Testaments is right up there with The Handmaid's Tale? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, I'm I'm about a third of the way, and it's definitely um, super interesting. I do feel like I should have brushed up on the original before, but sometimes you just can't help it when you get a brand new book in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think um, I think it is sort of going to change how the first book is read, um, and then yeah, it, it's very interesting that they're written sort of so far apart you don't often get that with sequels so I don't think she originally wrote it as something that was going to be a series but it's just sort of the way the cookies crumbled here so we're all very excited for it. Perfect which leads me to my next question as to maybe in your your thoughts or your personal opinion why do you think it took Margaret Atwood so long to maybe develop the sequel? Uh, Well from what I've read she has sort of um, said that she finally found a way to tell the rest of the story so I think um Maybe she didn't originally write it with any interest in a sequel, but just because of sort of what has happened, uh, not just with the show, but just kind of uh, politically and with the Me Too movement, people are just sort of uh, very interested in having these discussions. We've even started a feminist book club here at the library because there's just more interest in this kind of conversation uh, locally and globally. So it's it's something that people are excited to talk about, and it, it, this is sort of just another way that you can sort of Uh, ask these questions in a fictionalized way and get a real discussion going. Does it necessarily seem like it's it's now just one specific category or group that is uh, leaning more towards this book? Or have you seen a a wide range of people that are um, interested in this type of genre? I would say we are seeing um, a difference in sort of uh, the people checking out this book and her other works as well. Um, part of that might be is that she's, you know, she's Canadian classic, so we tend to have her works on like high school reading lists and that kind of thing. So 
same as To Kill a Mockingbird, sort of every spring and every fall it gets very popular and we can't keep it on our shelves. Uh, we just can't keep it stocked because it's so popular. Um, but now this is sort of, um, you're seeing more people just interested in it um, because of the show for sure, but also I think just because people want to go back and read it. So maybe people didn't read it before and now they've seen the show and they're just very interested in how could something um, that seems so topical now have been written so long ago. So they're going back to the original text and giving it a good um, once over. And then knowing that the sequel's coming out, that also usually increases interest in the original work. So I would say it's a more varied audience that's coming back to uh, Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's definitely something to consider. I would definitely say uh, that everyone who is involved in our in our book club is very interested and that's it's uh, it's men it's women it's people who are very young people who maybe read it when it originally came out it's it's very um very encouraging i didn't even get the chance to read handmaid's tale in high school it wasn't a part of our book list if you will so now i'm just like oh look i'm behind on the times i have to get in on it and uh, and read the book so it's definitely given me a, a good enough excuse to say maybe i should go and brush up and see what's what's happening because sometimes i find the tv show and the book are different do you find that more or less the the details and the general plot of this show are relatively the same yeah, um I would say generally they're they're very similar um but when the book was written sort of um and how the where the TV show takes place it's not sort of explicitly stated but it's uh the idea you get is that it's somehow in the near future so um you know when she originally wrote the book it would have been a much different world compared to where we are now so uh the part of the show that takes place sort of um it's a little more present day, you know, there are smartphones and there's the internet and there's emailing and stuff like that. And, um, I think it's sort of another way to keep your interest there. So I, I'm the same as you. Sometimes I have a really big problem in, um, differentiating between the original source material as a book and then the original material as a TV show, because they are, uh, very different things but sometimes you just want to know whether or not you're getting the exact same. And I think with the plot and the, the things that happen, it's very related to The Handmaid's Tale. And then what you get in the TV show is also sort of its own standalone. You don't need to read the book to watch the show or vice versa. And, I mean, you really don't need – you can do sort of a, a combination. You can watch the show and then read the Testaments or – um, you can read The Handmaid's Tale and then Testaments without ever watching the show. It's sort of nice that they're sort of their own standalone media. Oh, ah, okay. That's fair enough. And that's really good to know in case uh, I want to know how to plot myself moving forward. Um, if residents want to borrow the book, of course, where do they call? And um, can they reserve in advance? Um, is that possible? Or should they probably wait a bit before they can uh, um, come in and borrow the book at the library? Yeah, uh, we definitely have uh, a lot of copies of the Testaments coming in. It just was released last week, so we got our copies in then. 
So we have um, a healthy hold list on that. So you can do that online at auroraPL.ca. You can also come in and put a hold on it. Um, and then we have the talking book, which is sort of the old-fashioned disc that you can play at home or in your car if you still have a CD player. We have the large print version, and we also have our bestseller express version where you can come into the library, and if it happens to be there, you are more than welcome to check it out. And that one does not have any holds on it, and it's seven days only, so that's the one I'm trying to work my way through now. I'm giving myself less than a week to finish it, and um, I'm going to try my very best because it's, it's very... Uh, engaging. Ah, okay. All right. <laughs> um, hopefully we can uh, chat further uh, long later on in this month and just see what your general thoughts are, of course, into the whole uh, book. Uh, but uh, for now, we will definitely take your review into account and, uh, of course, encourage listeners to uh, take uh, advantage and go to the library and take out the book, The Testaments. It looks like it's definitely going to be a good read. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region, where we share stories, issues, and events from across York Region, including a preview of Marky Monday's show in Richmond Hill. Here's Amber Pay with the Adventures in Space. Thank you for joining us, Marky Monday. I appreciate your time, and we are basically going to be talking about your stage performance of Adventures in Space. It's at the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts on Saturday, September the 28th. Marky Monday, live on stage. Can you tell me exactly what this is about? It's a rock musical, Adventures in Space. What, what is it all about? Oh, it's so exciting. Yes, it's an adventure in space for kids, age 3 to 10. And what they'll experience is uh, some dancers with Marky Monday from the Ovation Performing Arts Academy. And there's a huge video screen that shows outer space in all its glory. There's songs about black holes, supernovas, uh, being an astronaut. And it's just so much fun, and kids learn about outer space, of course, and also about love and respect and friendship. Oh, that sounds great. And, and how, how, how big or how old are your audiences generally? Well, they're, in, they're generally age 3 to 10. It's a perfect family event, and actually we're doing a Culture Days free event in the lobby. So if you show up to the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, on Saturday, September 28th, from 11 in the morning till 4 p.m., we have a free event in the lobby where kids can get their face painted, there's balloons, there's uh, going to be all these vendors, and there's performances in the lobby from singers and uh, magician and all these great things. But the actual show itself in the main theater is happening at 2 o'clock. Well, obviously, uh, Marky Monday, you have a, a huge love of outer space. And it, it, how did this all come together, music and outer space and with kids? And tell us how you got this idea. Oh, well, uh, we did Adventures in Dreamland uh, last year. And mm. Adventures in Dreamland was all about bullying and friendships and things like that. And then we thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we did outer space because it's really limitless? Mm-hmm. And I know I always love, love watching, like going to the Cinesphere or watching movies about outer space. I'm a big Star Trek fan. Ah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, if you, are you too, Anna? I, yes, I, like a little bit. In fact, but I, I'm more of a Star Wars. Is, are uh, we still friends? I like Star Wars too. Yes, <laughs> okay. both of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. And it's, uh, are you planning to give us uh, your best moonwalk? 
Oh, there can there can be a moonwalk. The kids are doing moonwalks. Oh, really? All over the place. Yes, yes, yes. There's definitely moonwalks. And actually, this year, if if you recall, this is the the anniversary of the 50th year that uh, uh, Neil Armstrong first put his foot on the moon. Mm-hmm. And so that was part part of part and parcel of why we're doing this too is adventures in space just to bring awareness that we as a human race accomplished so much in the last 50 years with regards to going to outer space mm-hmm. and that would give them uh, i guess a little bit of hope to see perhaps maybe they can be our next budding astronauts in space oh yes yes absolutely you gotta you gotta aim high and <laughs> and this this is a show that shows kids like not only is it really great to sing and dance and have fun but it's also very educational as well and so are you're going to integrate the kids into your performance yes so there's uh there's six kid dancers that are from the ovation performing arts academy who will be joining marky monday on stage for some numbers also there's the giant main screen so it's it's a 55 minute performance accompanied by a storyline with puppets that are all on the screen, and there's some uh, some kids dancing and singing on that screen as well from all over York Region, which is just awesome. So it's totally brought the community together in a great way. And how can how can we buy tickets? How can we find out more about Adventures in Space? So it's it's all available through the box office at the Richmond Hill Center for the Performing Arts, mm-hmm. and uh, that's uh, their website is rh center.ca and there you will find marky monday's adventures in space and actually you can have a promo code um, marky 10 m-a-r-k-y 10 would give you 10 percent off tickets oh that's so wonderful i really appreciate you talking us to us today uh once again for everybody just to recap on saturday september 28th it's marky monday adventures in space at the richmond hill center for the performing arts marky monday thank you so much for joining us here on the feed Oh, Amber, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. (laughs) I appreciate it. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez. Remember, if you missed any part of our show, head over to 1059theregion.com for a replay. This month marks 25 years since the Irish rock band The Cranberries released one of their biggest hits, Zombie. Lead singer Dolores O'Riordan died in 2018. Steve Liquid Holly from the Juno Award-winning band Bran Van 3000 is now paying tribute to the iconic singer. Music coordinator Christina Lavecchia with the details. Warriors picking up the bits, scrammy on the bottom, man. It's greasy on our lids now. It's for the love. This is for the kids. All you peaks and all your freaks that are tweaking. Bombs getting dropped. Peace that we're seeking. Hold up our soul like a satellite beacon. This is how we're living it. Flip all right, we're giving it. See you all before, man. Your styles are so derivative. One more time, one more ride, one more life. Here's where we shine. Little bit of step with a little more sway. If we're gone tomorrow, man, we'll seize our days and stay.
thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it's great. Thank you for taking time to have me. Your latest song, One More Time, which our listeners just heard a sneak peek of, may sound familiar. I understand it came about as a homage to the Cranberry song Zombie and has now come as a tribute to Dolores' passing. Why the song Zombie? I was feeling like a zombie in the music business, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I was sitting one afternoon, excuse me, a few years ago, and I was working on a project, Just Dance 4, with uh, Rick LP uh, here in Montreal with Ubisoft, and uh, he had, uh, had been hearing me, you know, meant my woes about the business and trying to uh, trying to make sense of a lot of things, and he said, oh, you know this song by the Cranberry Zombie, and I was in the studio with a band, AKA, which is a five-piece girl band here, or the band, AKA, whatever, they, they have since broken up, but uh, everybody's in the studio, and he brought up an instrumental that really... Uh, kind of fit with uh, the lyrics and the girls started singing it and I had just written a poem um, as a dedication to one of my friends who passed away and uh, this was before Dolores passed so we kind of we threw the song down and I, I wrote some lyrics based on you know the other side of maybe war and, and, and men and women uh, the opposites of women staying home or men going to war and fighting and battling or wanting to battle and I lost a lot of family members in, in, in those circumstances so one thing led to another and uh, the song came down as it was and I wrote a couple of the verses there on it and uh, at that point it was about trying to find Dolores well everybody was thinking about the label and I know Dolores was a big part of Ontario because she was living in Lakefield at the time mm-hmm. and me being a Peterborough native not far from Vaughan actually I uh, set out a path go back home and it turned out that she was actually her kids were actually going to school with with kids that of uh, a couple of my friends at Lakefield High, and uh, one thing led to another, and we had communicated, and I got referred to the label and Warner in uh, Europe, and she went back to Europe at that time, and and so that was kind of the start of it, right? It was just a, it was kind of just a song having fun and uh, kind of trying to pay homage to to what they're doing, because you know, in all honesty, I kept hearing cover songs. Myself being of Irish heritage through my family, I thought there wasn't anybody that really did any justice to bringing back a contemporary maybe view on it. So I kind of stuck a path to try to try to do that. I mean, obviously mixing a couple of genres and me rapping on it, but uh, one thing led to another, and it did get to Dolores's ear, and uh, the process kind of started at that point, you know. That's it being bittersweet because she she was a fan of Brand Van, I'm told by Warner and. Uh, and one thing led to another, and the song was there, and Warner put their stamp on it. Unfortunately, after Dolores passed, but she had approved it with the family because we're now it's now kind of registered as a co-publishing between the Dolores and myself. We were kind of at that point where she was going to come to Montreal on her tour, and the, the dream was to get on stage and perform it with her live uh, as a member of Brand Van and a solo artist now uh, uh, doing that song. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, but one thing led to another, and, and in, her, in her passing, it made me kind of step back and reflect on how I was approaching it. And were you able to um, get in contact with Dolores directly and, and chat about the song or um, how you were going to remake the song? Well, I was through her management because, like I said, she had, she was, well, I don't know, fled. She left Lakefield very fast because when I went back, we actually were supposed to meet and and, uh, and discuss it. She had uh, flown the coop and went back to Europe. I don't know if it was personal issues for her uh, that I wouldn't, you know, really want to dive into. But uh, she went back and started an album really quick. So the management with the label Warner there, they kind of said, you know, in time we'll we'll approach this. Right now, the most important thing was her writing. So I didn't actually get to sit down with her and have a discussion. And, and again, the discussion would have been more about us doing a song together and, and bringing it at some point of her tour here in Montreal and uh, and being a part. And she was a big part of Ontario. I know that was one of her favorite places in the world. So I, I'm, it's kind of sad that I didn't get to... Uh, 
with her in our hometown area and uh, discuss uh, all the things that I'm chatting with you now with. But, I mean, Warner stepped in and the family kind of took the reins after that. And knowing that I have her family and management's approval at the end kind of makes it okay because just having a label stamp of approval is one thing, but actually having approval from those that were closest to her in the band, I guess, is is probably a, a better thing, you know. So, One more time features in some parts what sounds like vocals from Dolores. Um, as well as elements from uh, the original song, Zombie. Are those portions taken from the original song, or were they re-recorded specifically for One More Time? No, they were no, they were re-recorded for One More Time. That's that's the contract as it stands right now, and then, and kind of the deal as it is. It's uh, It was the girls from AKA. There was five girls on that. You know, Dolores, uh, you know, the dream was to have her on it and to do it live with her, and she passed, you know, suddenly and tragically. So everything kind of changed and shifted and morphed into what it is now. Right now, it's just about sharing the song with as many people as I can and having them hear it. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do something different to kind of give life to one of my favorite songs out of the 90s because it was a huge song in the 90s. Mm. Touring with Brian Van, it was definitely a, a major staple in, in our tour and heard around the world. And my family being from Ireland and still having family in the north, it was uh, it touched home for me. And, uh, you know, it has a lot to do with, Ireland, more than just the song Zombie and what her message, I think, was in that. Uh, poetry is what it is, and everybody can interpret it a different way, but I believe that her message in Zombie was about what's, what is what what is it for, you know, war, what is it good for, to quote Robbie Robertson. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why in the end now it stands as a dedication to all fallen heroes, and I think anybody who's fought for something is a hero and knows that those that have maintained course to try to bring peace and teach the kids a good path and and change the world like that, that's kind of like, uh, I guess that's the message I'm trying to say, you know, it's in our heads. Don't be a zombie, you know, while you're alive and you have a message to share and and you can get your words out, deliver a positive message if you can. And in this, it's, I try to stay positive and uh, I continue to do so and flood the world with a new track, you know. And with a song with that has just so much meaning and you had mentioned that um, the plan was to perform One More Time Live with Dolores. What was the vision for that yeah. performance? The vision was just to, to just to share the stage. I don't know exactly what her plans were for the show, but the goal was to uh, get up and sing in front of Montreal. Brand Van, obviously, being from Montreal, we have a huge fan base here, and, mm-hmm. and she has a huge fan base, so just bringing those two worlds together and uh, this, this shared history of, uh, of our families and where we're from and, and all that uh, would have been a beautiful experience. So I really appreciate being a part of this interview and you having me and, uh, it being the anniversary, the 25th anniversary. I mean, the nineties were a different time. It was, it was analog, <clears throat> excuse me. It was analog and it was before the internet and it just was a different time. And she came out of that like a hawk, you know, and, uh, Brad Van too. I mean, you know, Brad Van, we were with Capitol records in 97 and zombie came out in 94 and he was still, still, uh, kind of dominating the charts and, and it was playing everywhere. And Dick in LA was playing everywhere. And, it was just such a different time that you actually had to get up and you didn't have a screen to look at. You had to move and you had to go to interviews and you were all crossing paths on tour, you know, from uh, all the bands that were on tour and, and promoting their music. It was just such a different era of analog and uh, terrestrial radio that everybody was kind of in the swamp together or the ocean or whatever you want to look at it as. It was uh, it was quite a day and era for the business. If anything, like given like, you know, bringing something to a to, uh, to the new ears and kids that haven't heard it. It's great to see them sing songs, sing lyrics that they haven't heard before and introduce them to, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, I do believe that, I do believe that uh, she's smiling down and, 
that it has a, a blessing on it. And uh, with that, I don't think anything can go wrong from that point other than uh, trying to uh, get new traction and reach new ears. Yeah. And you had mentioned that you had started your music uh, career over 20 years ago in the 90s with Brand Van 3000. Um, your first single, Drinking in LA, which is still widely recognized and loved today. Um, so you're currently working on your third solo album, Hard Labor. How do you feel you've grown yeah. as an artist and what can fans expect and listeners expect from your new album? Well, I'm working with a great team on it. It, has, it does have a strong country base, I guess, you know, because I started with acoustic. Well, they say country and I, I wouldn't call it contemporary country, but starting with uh with strong melodies with a guitar and I, I always thought about a campfire you know so anybody who enjoys campfires and singing around campfires hopefully will enjoy this album after many years i just thought i want to sing along i want to write songs that you know like the greats uh, that i love singing from sublime to led zeppelin to the beatles to the stones when um is the album being released we're going to do a single in the fall. I guess uh, we're looking into September, October. Um, we're wrapping it up as an EP right now, I think, because uh, getting back and forth to Brooklyn has proven to be a little more difficult than I'd like it to be initially. But uh, we're going to put a single out uh, at that time and, and the song will be up. And uh, before we go, uh, for all the Brand Van fans out there, can they expect any upcoming music or performances from the band? James is down in Los Angeles right now. We've been plugging away for the last couple of years on an album. Went in a couple of different directions. We were actually looking to work with Sade at one point. And, um, and again, twists and turns of an artist's career. It didn't work out that we, uh, we were going to do a big festival called Love uh, with her. And uh, anyway, things didn't work out. So the direction we were going of the Sade movement was kind of, kind of, came back again to like a, to a campfire vibe and a feel-good vibe. So there's some new brand band material in the mix. James is actually uh, holding through all the files right now, but uh, we, we have enough for a couple albums, actually. But, but yeah, lots of great material. Anytime you're in the York Region area, feel free to drop by and um, uh, come by even to do a performance. Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm coming, Christine. I promise. Right. When I head uh, when I head west on the 401, you'll be my first stop. I'll bypass Peterborough and come see you first. All right. No, you I could go home first. Go home first. <laughs> and no, then come no, on no. by. I gotta go there. <laughs> Anyways, I'll definitely make my way there, and I really appreciate you taking time. And uh, you know, for the fans out there and anybody who does love zombie and the cranberries, I'm really happy that you would take time like this. And I hope they enjoy the song and know that uh, it's with uh, heart and hands as the logo portrays, as I said in, the, in what I wrote to you. It's really uh, it's really about sharing. And uh, I hope that people accept it uh, with open ears and open heart and enjoy the song. That you wouldn't have to go away Here in my arms you'd always stay Never get lost in the games that play That's our show for this week. If you missed any part of the feed or have a story idea or a community event to share, head over to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.